As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. I'm already laughing. Joining me today to talk about the U.S. Men's National Team and a few other things is the man himself. It's Mr. Jason Davis. Jason, did I get that right? Is it? It's Jason Davis, correct? That, I believe that's that's correct. what my parents told me. They told me it was Jason Davis. If I go to if I go to Puerto Rico with my wife, it can come become Hasson Davis, but that's not really. Does it? The proper... Does it become that? Is that what you go no. by? No, it's a joke that I make sometimes because. You know, for people who don't speak any English, they see my name. They don't really know how to pronounce it. So sometimes you have to do things phonetically to get them mm-hmm. to say, like, how yeah. do you spell your name? Jason Davis? You're like, it's Hasson. Just spell it Hasson. Nice. Hasson Davis. Yeah, that's, that's Davis. I yeah, like yeah. that. I'm going to do that. Uh, when I was in Turkey, I believe I was Tayer because Taylor does not exist. My that's wife, nice. Yeah, it was, that wasn't so bad. That was an Ottoman name, I guess. And then my wife and I are working on getting her and our daughter Italian citizenship and we learned Ooh. that Reverie is not a name that will be recognized by the Italian government. So, oh, they flat out reject her name. Apparently, apparently <laughs> wow. so. Yes, yes, because it's a French wow. name, but it's not in like the French listing of names. So maybe we'll have to come up with something Italian. Uh, so maybe we'll just call her Hassan and see what happens. Hassan okay. Davis, and that could sure. be her, what, her name. Uh, too. Well, just because I want to talk about my child as well. Mm. He's got four names. He's got two last names. They're not hyphenated. There, he's his name works in the Latin uh, Latin tradition, mm-hmm. which means his his father's family name and then his mother's family name follows. But if you know anything about you know soccer players or baseball players, typically they sort of drop the mom's name. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes over one day when people <laughs> call him Tiago Davis and leave off her family name. Sure, that'll be great. What is what does he go by now? Like if you're signing him into to daycare or something like that, is it is it is it Tiago Davis or is it no, name. it's it's all there because also because the daycare is run by uh, by native Spanish speakers. Oh, nice. so they, for them, it's no problem to have. They understand what dynamic is working there. But of course, if I take him and put him in a Anglo speaking world, an American world, they'd be like, what? Which is his real his last name? Well, they're both his last name. Is it hyphenated? No, it's not hyphenated. So how do you fit that on the form? You know, that kind of stuff. No, are, are these the types of conversations you were aiming to have w- with uh, with with the new uh, program One Shot on Frame? Is that what you were going for? Was child's names and how to pronounce them? Well, I've, I I I can tease this, and it will drop shortly. We did we did talk about your child. We talked about your relationship with your daughter on the episode that I that I recorded with you. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I I think the whole point of the show, you know, this is this is definitely a pet project in the sense that this is something that I'm interested in rather than like the masses want this, right? I'm not responding to what is popular on YouTube and then making that product because I'm probably too old to really follow the trends. Uh, in fact, I, I one shot on frame is the n- name of the show, and I was I, I've had it kind of in the can. You know how we talk. You know that's like mm-hmm. like lingo within the business, right? It's in the can. We've had it in the can for a long time. I've had it in the can for a long time. I didn't know how to how to get it out there. Like, do I publish it on YouTube? Do I do it as a podcast? Do I and do I try to sell it to somebody else and maybe they'll pick it up, that kind of stuff. And I finally was like, 
whatever, I'm not beating around the bush anymore. I'm going to put it out. And I put it on YouTube. And now I have anxiety over viewer numbers mm-hmm. and subscriber counts because I'm like that, that. I'm that person. So I reached out to somebody I know, Sam Stokes, who has the Yank Report YouTube channel, does an excellent job covering uh, the U.S. men's national team in American soccer on his YouTube channel. And he's got very good subscriber numbers and very good view numbers. And I, and I, I just in a, in a very short email, I said, hey, Sam, I'd like some advice on how to make a YouTube channel work. And he gave me like uh like 3000 words on breaking down how to properly attack the YouTube algorithm. And I know I sh- probably should do those things, but I hope that what I make is good enough that at least a small segment of American soccer fans are like, yeah, I don't Jason doesn't have to like respond to the latest news and be out first and have an incredible thumbnail. He can just have a cool conversation with Taylor Rockwell and people will want to listen to it or watch it or whatever. And in terms of maybe feeling like too old for certain trends, how did writing an email that was basically, how do I YouTube? How did that go over for you? How did that make you feel? <laughs> oh, it made me feel like, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I don't, I don't think too much about my age. I do have a birthday coming up and, and it's not a milestone, but it's close enough that it's like, oh, okay. I don't know what um, that means. Now, now uh, I'm trying to do the math here. Well, I mean, it's not, it's not a, it's mm-hmm. not, it doesn't end in a zero or a five, but it's close enough to one of those that oh, it, it's got me a little, little bit thinking a little bit. Um, I don't know. I still feel like a relatively young person, but mm-hmm. there's definitely stuff that's beyond me. Like, I'm not going to go dive into t- TikTok for this thing. I, I again, I hope that, I, I hope that it's the content works. I hope that people who listen to the Total Soccer Show are going to be like, yeah, that's right up my alley. Let me go check it out. And if you like it, you subscribe and maybe some people watch it and that'd be good for me on some I, level i think people will i really enjoyed the only one that i've seen up so far at least was the hercules gomez one which i thought was 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 really interesting and, and talking about his his young life his youth his experience and then moving to mexico and kind of treatment he got i thought that was all fascinating is that a relationship you already had how many of these are people that you sort of already knew so you had some familiarity with, with versus kind of yeah. new conversations that you weren't quite sure where they'd go well, the, the 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 concept was let me talk to people. I let me get people I know who I have a rapport with, make some good ones, and then hopefully that spawns further conversations. Maybe maybe it gets to the point when you start you start daydreaming, and it's like, oh, maybe people will come to me and want to be on the show, and it'll be coaches and players and and that kind of thing. And you know, who knows scenario? Yeah, sort sort of yeah, right. People clamoring to be on the show because it's such a great marketing vehicle for them. They got a new. Uh, I guess soccer players don't really have new shows coming out. I don't know. Whatever soccer players are pushing, maybe that's no. I, but but in the in the initial stages, yeah, I wanted it to be. I wanted to be able to feel comfortable, and I wanted the 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 guests to feel like they had a rapport with me. So it is all it, it's all people that I've known um, from soccer for a long time. Uh, Herc and I don't have as strong a relationship as say you and I have. Uh, but I know him, and he's a great guy, and and he's always what I love about Herc is he's always willing to do stuff like that. You know, the guy's on ESPN. He played in the World Cup. He doesn't have to, right? He can, and he's on uh, he's on the, the Spanish language shows on ESPN as well. Like, he's always got something going on, and yet he he set aside an hour for me because I said I wanted to do this project. He bought the pitch. He thought it was cool, and he brought his photo when we talked. By the way, have I mentioned the photo part about this yet? I, haven't I was yet. about to ask you, what, what was that, that pitch? Like, t- can you take people through yeah. the premise a little bit? Sure. The premise of One Shot on Frame, which is kind of, <laughs> kind of there in the name, but obviously that's a soccer reference. Uh, I wanted a visual hook. I wanted, okay, I wanted a hook that was going to get somebody talking about something without kind of just kind of forcing into like a list of questions. And I've never been a list of questions guy when I do interviews, and I, and I've talked to a lot of people. I'm very blessed that way. I've ta- talked to a ton of people. But one thing that happens in my day job on the radio is you talk to somebody for 12 or 15 minutes and that's it, right? You barely get to scratch the surface. You'll create a rapport for a minute and then you've got to ask them about the game tonight or whatever it is. And I wanted this to be more casual, more relaxed, more about their history, their background, their life, um, or about a moment in time, right? So the idea is bring a photo to the show. We share the photo. And you tell me, as the guest, what that photo is of. And then obviously from there, we can have a whole conversation about why that photo and, and who's in it and that time. And then what you did after that, what you did before that, you know, and what and then obviously this is about soccer people. So I want to learn about soccer people. And I think that, you know, while not everybody that I've, that I've talked to already is like super famous, 
um, there are lots of people that people know and listen to. I mean, everybody, I know you talk a little bit about your life, Taylor, but I think a lot of people will learn something about you that maybe they didn't know before because you don't take time on your podcast for an hour to talk about Taylor Rockwell's story, right? You, I mean, maybe you did that in the early days. Maybe you and Daryl did that, but I don't, I don't know of that episode, right? You guys have to cover what's happening, right? You're yeah. talking about the current soccer news. And that's true of Herc, and it's true of Alexi Lalas, and it's true of, of everybody else that I've had. Uh, Sebastian Salazar is also an episode. So I wanted to, to learn about those people. People I know, but I don't, I don't really know, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Do you feel like that, that, that premise, having, having the photo to go off of, do you feel like it got you into some, some deeper conversations? Because I do feel like you can get the, the glossy sort of conversation, the glossy story from the person, or you can get more of the, the gritty realness and what was actually going on. Do you feel like that helps you get a little bit deeper? Yeah, I, I think that it is uh, an entry point. And then, look, it's on me to ask good questions. And obviously, everybody who comes on the show is going to have a different approach to how they talk about their lives. Some people are more comfortable doing that than others. Uh, I, I, do, I think that the, the photo, though, I think it's a window into the person's personality and, and sort of what's important to them or what they think about when I say, hey, bring a photo to a show where we talk about your soccer life. Right. Because that's such an open ended kind of concept like i didn't want to i didn't want to lock anybody in like this is what you have to do or i have a 10 questions and and you got to answer every single one of them i wanted i wanted to to get a window into them by what they brought me because that says something right like oh hercules gomez brings a photo of when he was 19 at the azteca watching usa mexico while he was also in the country trying out trying to catch on with the mexican club and then that spawns okay well how did you get there and what were you doing before? And obviously, and, and for anybody who hasn't watched yet, um, he talks about not really being not connected to the same sort of recruiting apparatus that a lot of kids were during that time in American soccer. So he didn't have colleges coming at him, even though he was clearly a very, very good soccer player. Right. Um, and so we kind of get into that stuff. And then that kind of, you know, spins us around into a different angle where now we're talking about. American soccer structures. And we talked about dual nationals because he has Mexican heritage and he's watching these kids have to make these choices. So I, I think that the photo is the entry point. It reveals something about the subject. And then we can we can go a million different directions from there. Well, he was playing cash games, right? Is that one of the things he was talking about? He was a ringer in adult men's leagues games that were like serious adult men's yeah. leagues, right? Um, highly competitive games, not just a bunch of guys kicking around. He was a ringer for all of these business owners who sponsored these teams and, and you know, wanted their team to win on the weekend. I mean, it, it's basically the same concept as any soccer club. It's just, it was happening in men's league games in, in Vegas, which I think is amazing. And if I potentially couldn't remember what photo I sent you, what photo did I send you? Do you remember? Oh, yeah, I do. You you had your daughter on your shoulders. That's what I thought it was. Okay, cool. At a Richmond Kickers game is yeah. what that was. Yeah. And, and what I love about that, and not to give away too much, I haven't published uh, Taylor's interview yet, but what I love about that is it, it, you know, it's your daughter. That's obviously a central figure in your life, one of the most important people in your life. And you're sharing about taking her to a place that's very special to you, mm -hmm. right? And when we talked about you growing up with the kickers, right? And that's, I think there, there aren't a lot of people in this country who can say, who are our age or your age, Taylor, you're younger than me, I think. I was trying um, to figure that out. I can't remember. I feel like we're right around the same age. Yeah. You're right around the same age, but, <laughs> but you're one of the few people, you lived in one of the few places where that team goes back to basically you starting to play or starting to play mm -hmm. seriously at the very least, sure. right? And most people don't have that. So we got a little bit of like, what's it, what is it like to have a community club that really does span your entire life? Because most American soccer fans are like, my club started yesterday and they're awesome. <laughs> or, or I guess in some cases, my, my rooting interest in a club started yesterday. But yeah, the Kickers, sure. man, from, from 93, we've been through like four different color schemes uh, and, and here they are now <laughs> continuing to exist. Not the best yeah. of seasons, but still, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool to get to take her to those games. I assumed it was that photo, but I couldn't bring it up uh, on my phone before we started recording. But yeah, that was I, that was a great moment. I enjoyed if, that one. If I can tease some other things that's coming, that are coming up. So, so again, uh, there are five in the can. They'll be coming out over time. I definitely want to do more. In fact, I'm working on a couple of uh, of names I won't mention here because they're not solidified yet. Um, but uh, we got Alexi Lalas as a 17 year old in a classroom wearing a stonewashed jean jacket. Uh, so get ready on, for that. Very on brand for him. 
Absolutely. I mean, a hundred percent Alexi Lalas. Um, We've got Sebastian Salazar, who brought me like six different photos. I mean, he was ready to share Sebastian Salazar. Uh, and and again, a thing I didn't know about, I don't think I really ever thought about. It wasn't, it didn't matter to me, right? So I didn't go digging. Sebastian Salazar, you know, he's, um, his mom is Mexican. His dad is American. His name, he goes by Salazar because it, he picked that up. I mean, it, it is his mother's name, but he started using that professionally when he was a young cub reporter somewhere in pennsylvania or coming through college right so he is sort of very aware of the of living in the two worlds being latino maybe not looking latino enough for certain people he talked about that right so there's again a lot of little things about these people that maybe you don't know just watching them give their soccer opinions on tv or hearing them that i think is is fascinating how challenging is it for you to hear like for me sometimes when we get into the personal stories uh, on the show in the few times that we do it can be tricky when it's a a a backstory background that is completely different from my own or your own it can it can be tough to like know how to resonate with that cuz mm-hmm. like if a person's talking about like growing up in abject poverty and i'm like yeah me too like it's <laughs> it's it's the land and donovan thing about like even if you're poor sure. in the united states you still have like running water and electricity so like sure. do, is it difficult for you in those moments to to find that commonality or do you feel like you're able to sort of understand where the per- person is coming from to have that empathy a little bit I've never really thought about it as a problem. I mean, I'm definitely very aware of living in a different world mm-hmm. than maybe they're talking about. And, and you know, again, talking to Hercules Gomez, um, I didn't grow up in that that soccer environment that he did. And I didn't grow up in a in a Mexican-American family and I didn't grow up playing in men's leagues or even go out to those games. Right. But I am at least sort of intellectually aware of what that is and how it operates. And I've seen some of it and we kind of got into sort of the, the cultural importance of those leagues in those games, right? Because they're not just a soccer match between two teams and the guys on the field are the only ones that care. Families come out, families that have nothing to do with the players come out, right? Because everybody else in their Salvadorian community or their Mexican community is going out to these games and people are selling food and uh, there's music and people are are wa- people are watching as almost as fans creating that environment, which is amazing. And we talked about playing in front of hundreds of people in an immensely game in Vegas. I mean, to even imagine that. And so it, because I'm, again, vaguely aware of it, I can kind of steer him in that direction. Tell me about what that's like, because I know it's not just you played some soccer and, and that's it. Um, so I, I try to be at least aware of of where these people are coming from, I guess on some level, but I'm also learning things as we go. So I I think it's important to just kind of it, it may not resonate with me, mm-hmm. but think about what somebody might ask or might be wondering about if they also don't come from that world. I, I I'll, I'll mention Alexi Lawless again, another one I haven't published yet, but is coming soon. Uh, he went to Cranbrook Academy outside of Detroit, yeah. and this is a pretty famous prep school. Yeah, outside it's a, it's of Detroit, eight, it's in Eight Mile, man. He went to Cranbrook. There, That's a there private you go. school. It's a private school. It's a big deal. It's famous. I think the alums beyond Alexi Lalas are pretty impressive. And I said, hey, Alexi, were you a rich kid? Because that's the thing people are going to assume. Oh, yeah. you went to Cranbrook Academy or you're a witch kid. Now, he explained himself. And, and you know, it, I'll, you have to listen to the conversation. I don't want to spoil it because, you know, he he had a response to that, to the idea that he might be a rich kid. Hey, folks, more still to come from my conversation with Jason. But first, a word from today's sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Thank you very much to today's sponsors. Now back to the show. As the program grows, are there people that you've sort of 
thought about as being ideal guests, not necessarily just because they're going to do big numbers for you. Like Lionel Messi is probably going to get some clicks, but are there yeah, people that you yeah. would really like to talk to for whatever reason? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I had a big, long list. I mean, I, I so I, I worked on the actual production and getting these people, getting the, the guests sort of set up so I could talk to them um, over the, the beginning of 2023. So I haven't really gone back into my my list of, of potential guests since then because I, I kind of have that backlog and I need to work through it. But I can I, this is my working list. You ready? I, I can go through this. Oh, and and I, I, some of these I may have reached out to some of them I may not have. So just bear with me that this is not necessarily I'm not promising any of these people. I'm just saying that this would be so Landon Donovan, John Strong, Pablo Maurer, Eric Winalda, JP Delacamera, Brian Dunseth, Demarcus Beasley, Jimmy Conrad, Aguchan Yewu, Michelle Akers, Tony Miola, uh, Alexis Guerreros. Uh, obviously, Christian Polanco is also there. You got to put them together. They have to be together at all times. Uh, let's see. Marissa Pilla, Julie Foudy, Charlie Davies. I mean, Meg Swanick, uh, Meg Linehan, Taylor Twelman. I mean, you know, it, it's sort of a mixed bag. It's some people who have been players and come at the game from that angle, but are maybe broadcasters now or working in other capacities. And then also people that, you know, deliver our soccer news or who we listen to on the podcast or watch on the television. So, yeah, that, a little bit of that. And how much extra work has this been for you? Because obviously you're still doing uh, the serious show. So are you finding the time to do this? Are you scheduling it? Are you making it like a rigorous daily thing? Well, you want to get into the weeds on my, bit. my yeah. little bit. No, no um, you know, well, honestly. They, I, they, I put it this way. I don't actually know what your schedule is or how it works because it, okay. for us, we sort of have a roughly set time of recording that can change a little bit. Uh, I will say Ryan is very good, as is Joe, about keeping to a schedule. I, mm -hmm. If anyone is likely to be like, ah, can we run about 10 minutes late? That's going to be this guy. I okay. did that today. Uh, sure. So. So it tends to be set, but it can fluctuate a little bit. But I am interested in people who who have more of a set schedule and then how they go about making that happen. Well, because my show, my radio show is in the afternoon from 12 to 3 Eastern, I have to do things in the morning or I have to do things in the later afternoon, mm -hmm. right? You and I are actually talking in the later afternoon because I'm done with the radio show today. Um, I, 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 It's not, I mean, it is, it's different work. I don't say, I don't think I would say it's extra work. I've also had a change in my schedule because I had a writing job for more than a decade that is no longer available to me. I'm going to say why uh, just things change sometimes, but that means that this is also part of that, right? As a, as a guy who gets to talk about soccer for a living, I'm, I'm happy about that. But when you then lose either an income stream or you have more time on your hands, Hey, you got to fill that somehow. So this is one of those ways I wanted to do that. So it's um, in, in terms of schedule, I mean, Again, I've recorded five of them. I could probably do another five over the next two weeks. And then it's just a matter of editing a little bit. Not mm -hmm. not crazy, but editing a little bit, which I ha I've had to learn about because I've always been an audio guy and not a video guy. And then, yeah, put it out, see what happens. Hopefully, again, people like it. One more nuts and bolts question for you. The times uh -huh. that I've been on the serious show... Uh, it definitely does feel like you have the window of time for the guest to be on. I feel like I push up right against the absolute maximum of how much time you have allotted. And I'm assuming that within that window, there are specific things you want to cover in specific ways or you want to get to them in specific ways. With this uh, program, with One Shot on Frame, how much of a plan do you have going in versus how much of it is sort of on-the-fly conversations? I think that there will always be an idea or two in my head about things I want to touch on, but I really do. And maybe this is a little bit of hubris on my part. And I'm, and maybe there are people out there who say, yes, it definitely is Jason. And I've heard you a billion times and I know that you are that kind of guy. Uh, I think I'm pretty good at this, the, the, the interview process, the conversation. Now, obviously in this format, I can edit out a bunch of stuff if I don't want it there. Right. Because it's, it's not, it's not a live product on the radio. I got 15 minutes. Everybody's hearing me talk to you as it's happening. There's no like I can replay it later and we could cut it up then. But I have to be kind of on point with what I want to get to in that 15 minutes or whatever it is, because that's the window that we have in this. I'm not stressed about that. I let the conversation go where it goes. And now I've even been in my head a little bit. And, and I don't know, people out there who work with video or who know a little bit about this world could probably tell me if I'm doing it wrong, but I've been in my head a little bit about, should I be cutting it up and putting, you know, certain things together that didn't happen chronologically in my conversation? 
right? Um, is an hour the right length for this? I've I I cut Hercules Gomez's uh, interview up into five parts because it felt like putting an hour long video on YouTube was probably not the way to go. And I know I could also make this a podcast, and I've thought about that too. But I think I'm challenging myself a little bit with the video thing. I chose a video hook for the show with the photograph, so you're not getting the photograph if you if you listen to the podcast. So uh, you know, there's there's some things like that, but for the most part. It's a conversation. It just happens. And uh, when are you getting what? What season? What edition of the show are you getting Bob Bradley on? Or oh, excuse me, not man. Bob Bradley. I, Bob, Bob Bradley would be good, but I'd rather see, hear Greg Berhalter if we're going. US oh, you, okay. Wow. Did you just stroke out a little bit? A little are you bit, okay? A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I think it's because because when I was looking up uh, the your channel, I then looked up like just like additional Jason Davis things, and you have a long form interview with Bob Bradley from wait from like maybe five years ago. So I think that I had I really? that in my head. I believe you do. Yes. Wow. Do you know this is going to sound so bad. I don't remember a lot of things I did, Taylor. <laughs> I really yes, don't. I did. I did just have a senior moment and conflate Bob Bradley and Greg Berhalter. Bob Bradley's got wow. time now. We know that he is he does. Uh, not doing much, but Greg Berhalter does now have a job, so maybe he has less time. Well, I might, ha- I might have an in with Bob Bradley. Not, I, I don't know him, but I might know somebody who knows him who maybe could get me some time with Bob Bradley if he's willing to talk. He seems like he might not be willing to talk right now he based on see- how things He doesn't went. seem like he would love to talk specifically right no. now, but then also broadly doesn't strike me as a guy who wants to like pontificate on his life and his existence more so like, what do you mean? Why are we asking that? that, that that's kind of the maybe, vibe I get from Bob. Maybe. I, I think he would tell stories. I mean, that's the thing about this show, right? Like, I, like if I had Bob Bradley on the radio show, it's going to be like, hey, what happened in Toronto? Why'd you get fired? Why, why didn't the Italians work? Yeah. Were they, how much of a problem were they behind the scenes? You know, all that, that, that's the natural stuff you would ask, the curiosity. If I had him on One Shot on Frame, I would talk about the photograph and I would talk about his career and we talk about, you know, coming out of Jersey and Princeton and, and Virginia and, and Bruce Arena quite a bit, I'm sure. And the World Cup. I mean, we talk about those things because that's that's what that format is meant to to talk about is there to, to cover. It's not there necessarily to litigate something that just happened, although eventually you might work up to what's it like to be fired by multiple teams? You know, you might do that. Um, Greg Berhalter, man, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what I would get out of Greg Berhalter right now. Yeah, <laughs> what do you mean? I, Whatever do well, you mean, Jason? <laughs> I just, he doesn't he doesn't say much. He says the words come out of his mouth, mm-hmm. Taylor. And I would love to. I want to give the guy the benefit of the doubt. I don't think he's a dumb guy, and I think he's a pretty decent soccer mind. I just don't know that I appreciate the way he applies those skill sets. I, I, yeah. I to especially and we 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 heard him talk about the new roster. We heard him talk about Giorena. It's as you said before we started, it's not it's not I said it's not word salad and you said, well, it's not not word salad. Yeah. It's kind of in that realm. It's a lot of things that come out that don't actually help hold a meaning. There's no significance to them. It strikes me as a person who's had media training. It's similar to why I don't always love doing player interviews is because I yeah. think oftentimes unless you're getting them in a very like I honestly think uh, one shot on frame works really well in that way that you're getting them to talk about themselves and this moment how they want to talk about it right and i think that can maybe lend itself towards like they're giving you canned statements and and canned background about this photo but i think oftentimes at the very least you're going to get through that a little bit into more truth and more reality and more different stuff that they weren't planning oh, yeah. to talk I mean, about and i think it does a- a- avoid having to talk about certain things that maybe they don't want to talk about maybe aren't of interest to you but are of interest to twitter or something like that so i think in that sure. way it would probably be an interesting conversation because you could get him talking about stuff that he feels like talking about. Yeah, in a related way, sometimes the sometimes there is an attitude among uh, among soccer fans and people on Twitter. Hey, why didn't you ask this question? This incredibly pointed, aggressive question to the person that you had on the show. They didn't have to be there, right? I can't force them to come on the show. And and the argument is always, well, you're not going to get an answer, right? You, you, people don't respond well to being attacked, so I can't attack somebody and expect to get a proper answer. And and as you said, in the case of players and coaches, quite often you're dealing with people who have had media training and are no who know, hey, I I'm not going to say anything about a teammate, even if I don't, even if I hate that teammate, I'm not going to say anything about it. I'm not going to I'm not going to talk poorly about my coach. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to address uncomfortable things. And what that does, instead of and, and the, the the older a player gets, typically, the more experience they have, the more comfortable they are understanding 
where the soft spots are where they can actually go into something rather than having to like throw up the wall for every single question. So maybe maybe the show would be better for that. And maybe I would get more out of Burhalter than than just um I don't know, the the leadership gobbledygook that I think we get a lot of right now. <laughs> yeah, so we're recording this after uh his I guess reintroductory press conference uh taking over the US again and uh and the September roster that's that's come out. Giorena not on it because he is just become, coming back from injury, but was very much a, a talking point, Berhalter asked about it twice. And I think that is where I felt some frustration. I tweeted about this a little bit, just that his answers seem to be deliberately not giving anything away. And mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he makes clear, to be very clear, that if Reyna were fit and playing, he would be in this squad, that there's no sort of like, he's got to prove that he belongs. I do think he meant what he said way back when, when he said, we left the World Cup and it was dealt with. The squad dealt with it. We dealt with it. We've moved on. But then everything that's happened. But that aside, it felt like in other situations, we've seen Greg Berhalter say very plainly uh, certain things about players when talking about, I tweeted this as well, Weston McKinney uh, breaking COVID protocol, how it was yeah. sort of like, this is what happened. He apologized. We dealt with it as a team. He was sent home. We're over it. We moved on. He'll be back next camp. Next camp, I can't even remember if he's asked about it, but if it was, he just sort of, I think, like it, there's nothing to it. We've dealt with it. We've moved on. And I did not get that level of, of clarity from him in this uh, press conference. He's asked about it once. He's asked about it again later on. And both times it was about, we've got to find the right time. We've got to understand the sensitivity of the situation. And I think all of that, I understand why he can't say things more explicitly and can't lay things out. I think partially because that's gotten him in trouble in the past in this situation, partially because maybe there's details that aren't yet ready to be public, but it, it still, was an awkward moment in my mind because it doesn't fully feel like turning the page, which is what we're supposed to be doing towards 2026. It felt like, I guess we're turning the page, but I feel like there's still writing on this page that we have to kind of get rid of or deal with. You know, I'm going to say something that it's counterintuitive, right? It's, it's not that I want Burhalter to shut down or that I don't want information. I prefer that we get more information than, than not. But in this case, I don't I definitely think Berhalter would be better served to say, we're not talking about it. I'm working on my relationship with Giovanni Reyna. He's a major part of this team. Next question. Yep. Yeah, because then there's some clear like at least we know, OK, there's something happening or or he maybe he's lying to us. Who knows? But at least it's a firm statement of what's their approach is, or what's going on. Like he, he can say he can absolutely cover himself in. This is between me and Giovanni Reyna. I'm not talking about it. Yeah. But he doesn't do that. He's sort of, you know, he's and I know what he's doing. He's trying to protect Geo. Well, he's also projecting because I think that the emotional element for him is still really raw. I think that was very clear in the Vanity Fair interview that came out yesterday and less so in the things he said today in a in an official capacity setting. But I think it's absolutely true that Greg Berhalter feels hurt and he hasn't gotten over it. And that's affecting how he's dealing with Giovanni Reyna. That's that's really interesting because I, I think I think you're right, which can be then a concern because I, I think if if you're gonna you've got to assume he's asked about this uh, prior to being rehired, brought back, and and I'm assuming that in there is a like no, there's no bad blood, we can work through it. But I think you're also right that his, his business is brought uh, into public uh, in a very public way, and he's and he is forced to kind of talk about an incident that that should be talked about but i think also he he had kept very private and his family had dealt with and he and his wife had dealt with so i can fully understand then how you would if you want to talk about that and want to be frustrated by it which i think would be human instinct but also recognize you can't really because that's only going to uh-huh. make it worse you're sort of left in this situation of i don't want to just be like Bygones are bygones. We all love each other, but you also don't really want to say anything too clear. And so you end up with a, no, you know, things are fine, but we all know stuff needs to be worked on. And then that opens the door to like, well, what's the stuff that needs to be worked on? Do we all know that? And, and I think in some ways trying not to comment on it and, and hoping that it kind of moves on doesn't feel like the best way to deal with it. Well, I I do think that he's kind of stuck. He can't say, he can't lie and say there's been contact because it's always possible that the Reynas would come out and say, nope, we haven't heard from Greg Berhalter at all and yeah. call call him out on that. Um, that. That's a tough place to be. 
And I, I and I don't know that Gio would do that. I think it would be very stupid for Gio to do that. But I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of Giovanni Reina's attitude either. Right. This yeah. is everybody kind of in the same pool of muck. I will say I can extend my sympathies to Greg Berhalter, the person, the person who went through what he did after what happened at the World Cup, because whatever mistakes he made, he didn't deserve to have his history with his wife, who he's been married to for 25 years, dragged out into the public sphere and judged. Right. I don't I don't think he, he deserved that. However, as a fan of the U.S. men's national team, I can say, hey, maybe don't hire the guy who has to get past this thing, is struggling with it, hasn't had a relationship with one of your most important players. Like I can say, I'm sorry that this happened to you, Greg. I really wish it didn't. Those Reynas are big, bad, mean people. But I can also say, I want a different head coach, one who doesn't have a problem with his relationship with Giovanni Reyna, one of the most talented players we've ever had for the United States men's national team. I think that's the issue I've been circling. Thank you for saying it that clearly. I, I was okay with Greg Berhalter coming back. I've said before, I will say again, I think they were planning to reappoint him before his tenure originally expired at the end of 2022. And then the story breaks. They have to do the investigation. The contract expires. There's no way you can renew him while you're conducting an, an independent audit. So I think there is that impasse. But I think then to come back and not just deal with it head on, I'm not saying we're entitled to any information. I'm I'm not. I'm genuinely not saying like we deserve to know all the basics of everything that happened and all the details. But I do think to sort of try to sidestep what was the major situation at the end of your tenure that led to this sort of six-month hiatus and investigation, I, I don't think you can come out and say – well, you know, we're past it, but, you know, we're working on it and there's a situation and we've talked, but we kind of haven't talked. Like, I, it just, it felt very unclear in a way that needed to be very clear because this is, in my mind, the major issue right now with, with Greg Berhalter being brought back. You can talk about tactics. You can talk about how good he is at communicating in-game changes. I think we can have those conversations about most coaches in a variety of different ways. But when you have this major thing that's kind of overshadowing to not fully address it and to not make it clear that the situation is done and dusted, even if it is, it feels like it's not. And that does yeah. sort of open the door to like, well, if you haven't really fully dealt with that, if we're not really mo right. moving past it, what, what, why are we here then? The, well, my issue with bringing Burhalter back was the normal second cycle syndrome. Not a big fan of, of that. I mean, we've seen it uh, crash and burn with the U S men's national team before. And then this, right. Um, it's again, it's not fair to Greg Berhalter, although I do think he screwed up royally by coming back to the States and talking about a situation that happened uh, with the team in Qatar, even if he didn't name anybody. I think that was a mistake. I don't think that's I, <laughs> I, that's, I don't think that's such a like we I know what you mean and I know what him, he meant. But like I've listened to the audio. It's it's very like it's it's it's. One level above, like, we had a guy named Rio Jaina, and it was like, like, it was like, we had a youngster who was a problem who came in with an attitude, and like, it was, right. he didn't right. say it, but he said it. But, yeah. but, but this, that, that speaks to, to make, to, to come back to that, that speaks to, to a level of naivete on Berhalter's part that frustrates me as well. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's like, you know, again, his intentions are good. He's such a, a good guy. It's clear that lots of players like him. That they do. And I know he's been called corny in plenty of places. I, you know, I, I don't know that's necessarily disqualifying for this generation. They kind of look at a corny guy and go, yeah, that's that's cool. He could be corny also, uh, I, you know, but he has this he has this thing where he kind of it's not bumbling because he doesn't present himself as stupid, but he does have a way of kind of screwing things up without intentionally screwing them up. And I, I, I don't know if that's you should lose your job because you thought that this was going to be off the record and it got into the public sphere. But, but I also think he should have known better, right? I also think that, that a, a savvy coach in this world operating in 2022, 23 should know if I say something to any group of people, it's bound to get out. And how is this going to look? Because as you said, if it's as, as close to naming the player as Rio Jaina or whatever, then you're going to have an issue. Right. And he also should be doing that calculation because we already know that the Reynas had exhibited some pretty poor choice behavior in Qatar. So why is Greg going to talk about the kid whose parents were trying to get him in trouble back in Qatar <laughs> in a public sphere when that could go public? And ah, it's just it's maddening 
that, that that's what we're dealing with here instead of just talking about the soccer. Hey, folks, one more break, and then we'll be back with more Jason Davis. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Thank you to our sponsors. Back to Jason. So in thinking about his comments in that leadership summit and then his comments today, what I'm left with, and I'm not always really comfortable speculating on what's going on with a person or what they must mean or any, anything that I feel like I can't really know with some level of confidence, I don't always love getting into. I'm going to break that here. That was all the big build up to the butt. It, it does sort of seem to me that the situation with Gio Reyna at the World Cup was way more frustrating than I think I've understood. And I and mm-hmm. I have been sort of on on board the idea that Gio Reyna came into the camp, was told very clearly how he would be used by Greg Berhalter, which was basically that you're not going to be a starter. I don't know if right. he said it that way, but I think he told him, Tim yeah. Weah has been playing. He's been doing what we've asked of him. He's been in and out. He's been in every single camp, basically. He's going to mm-hmm. be on the right. Christian's going to be starting on the left. Uh, we're not going to play you centrally, so we're going to be using you, especially with you coming back in these specific roles, which I believe were when we're chasing a game and trying to make an attacking impact. And that sure. is how he used him. I think yeah. that was heard by a very frustrated teenager as an extremely limited role. And I, I th- Yes, and I, I absolutely agree with that reading. 100%. And, I, and I think that from there, I think I believe the kind of narrative that there were that Reyna wasn't maybe training the way he was supposed to, which is where there was the idea that like, well, maybe he's hurt and we just don't know it. And, and, but I think reading, like hearing some of those stories, but then hearing the way the players seemed really frustrated. Yeah. My kind of assumption is that Greg Berhalter left the world cup being very frustrated by Reyna more than he could talk about only, only, only just to say, sorry, I've been long winded. I'll just add this that like, because to your point, he absolutely has to know, even if that leadership conference isn't recorded, even if it's not leaked, you have to know that that's going to be someone's going to say, hey, I was at this thing where Greg Berhalter was clearly talking mm-hmm. about a young player who got mm-hmm. him really mad. And I feel like to me, that is a moment of I'm so annoyed by this situation, by this player. I've got to talk about it. I have to have people know but, that I'm not the bad guy. But there's even more to that. Again, this sort of inadvertently bumbling into a difficult situation. You mentioned the, the oh, is he injured thing? Remember that this all started because Berhalter intimated that there was an injury. Reyna was asked and yeah. said, no, 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 I'm fit. I'm 100%. Eric Winalda goes on a Twitter spaces. I guess that's an X spaces now. I don't know. How that was. He goes on a spaces <laughs> and says, oh, Gio was asked to lie about his injury status, yeah. which g- blows the whole thing up. Right. And again, this is all because Greg Berhalter was trying to protect a player. Yeah. He was trying to protect Gio from getting roasted for being a malcontent. And it blew up in his face. And it, like I can say, oh, I get, I get what you're trying to do there, Greg. But again. Don't say it like just don't say it. Don't put yourself in a position where there's going to be any blowback. I mean, what can you expect Gio to do? Right. He's 18. He's already shown you who he is in terms of his attitude, which absolutely is a problem that this team has to deal with going forward. I don't think that Gio Reyna suddenly is just a much more mature person now that all this has happened. But at the time, like you've already had issues. Right. I, I, de- I definitely agree with the reading, although we can't know for sure that he probably told Gio you'll have a role, but it's not going to be a starting role. And Gio pouted. So it's just the whole thing. Mm-hmm. The whole thing is so messy. And that's why I thought fresh start. Right. And, and, and yes, it matters who you hire. And I do think that there's something to be said for some continuity because of what this group was trying to do under Berhalter and the youth that's in this team going into 2026. But for me, none of none of none of what we're dealing with now was worth bringing him back. That's interesting. It is interesting because I hear you and I understand how you can think like there's baggage there. If we, if we cut, cut that away, we start a fresh, start a new, we don't have to deal with that. But I also do think that like you and I, 
I'm guilty of a thing that I've criticized other people of doing of like right now, like we're adding to that baggage. Like we also don't have to talk about it. It just feels <laughs> it just feels like a, a th- an odd thing not to discuss in trying to. Like, U.S. soccer should not have scheduled Uzbekistan and Oman if they wanted us to talk about something else. <laughs> that is a great point, dude. That is a great point. The only other thing I'll say, and then we can talk about something else, is I think about how thankless it must be, thankless a task it must be, to have to deal with a, a, a gaggle of reporters all the time. Because I think about someone like Ben Olsen. Uh, I remember sitting in on one of his press conferences after D.C. United lost a game in the regular season. Like, not, not you know, those things happen. Uh and a reporter asked him, you know, Ben, not your night tonight. Didn't seem like things were going your way. What'd you make? What'd you make of the game? And he kind of stares at the person for three seconds and then says, and I'll, I'll get my own edit ready. Yeah, we suck tonight. Anything else? And it was just such a like, okay, like he's, he's, he's saying how it is. But like, there is a line where that is appreciated, that level of candor, but that also could get you into trouble. If Greg Berhalter yeah. came out and was like, yeah, he's a petulant child. I don't like it's, it's immediately you're going to be in trouble in that way. If you say no sure. comment, though, then sure. that's like, well, why is there no comment? What's going on there? So it's I understand that how you would need media training and how you would need to be able yeah. to kind of say things without yeah. saying things. And and it's always threading. Every one of these people have to thread the needle on a regular basis. And, yeah. I, and I get that. And I do get that. And, you know, we've had coaches who gave us nothing, um, you know, who offered not much at all. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think in the case of Ben Olsen, what's funny about that is that you know, we live in an era where everything is analyzed to its extreme. And and sometimes there is actual stuff to pick apart. And you can talk about a decision a coach made or you can talk about um, an area of the field that was exploited by the opponent. And those things are true, right? It's not that they're not true. But I, I, I think that sometimes people say things just to say things, right? Just to try to, oh, so what happened out there? And, and Ben Olsen could give you <laughs> yes, a 10-minute tactical breakdown of the game. Or he could say, look, our players just didn't play. I mean, because sometimes that's also the answer, right? So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, may, maybe that's it then is like we can give that manager – like the freedom to say those types of things by not overly focusing and, and spending 20 minutes on like, what do you think he meant by difficult? <laughs> so yeah, let, let's not do that then. It does sound to me like you were, uh, would have preferred if they had gone a different route instead of bringing back Greg Berhalter. Yes. Uh, what, like now that he is back, what, what could, could be done? What could happen that would make you start to feel like, okay, maybe this was the right hire. I mean, wins obviously help, but to yeah. your earlier point, I don't know if wins against this particular uh, friendly opposition is going to do much. No, no, this is a no-win situation. Uh, uh, friendlies are typically no-win situations, mm-hmm. and I hate friendlies for that reason as, as much as I watch every single second of a U.S. men's national team friendly. Uh, but these are no-win situations. 73rd and 74th ranked teams in the world. I know Berhalter tried to dress them up a little bit in the Prescott, which I thought was a... I mean, okay, Greg, that's that's enough. We see right through that. He's like, these teams are pretty close to maybe qualifying for the World Cup in 2026 because <laughs> eight teams come out of the AFC. And I was like, really? Yeah. Really? That's what we're doing here? <laughs> Obviously, like Germany, Ghana next month. I, I would prefer that U.S. soccer also find a way for us to play outside the country because mm-hmm. that would be good experience. Um, look, I also think that as much as I was concerned that I would like a fresh start, that I also think that maybe some new ideas and and maybe getting out of their heads a little bit would be good for this team. Uh, I do think there's a core group that really does want to see this through under Berhalter. So that's a positive in his column. I think Balagoon coming in changes things so dramatically that it's almost hard to overstate that uh, because they just didn't have anybody you could trust at that position. And now you do, and he's going to score goals. So that makes this team so much more dangerous. I'm not saying they would have made the quarterfinals at the World Cup if Balagoon was in the team. But they would have a bet, much better shot if, at that, right? Berhalter wouldn't play three different forwards in three different games. He would have had one guy to lean on, um, and then the you know obviously injuries, right? And that's not that's outside of his control. So if he can get the group that he really wants on the field, I, I would say okay. The other thing specifically is, and he doesn't have to, Evan doesn't have to turn Giovanni Reina into a starter, right? But we saw at the Nations League how that can work. And as much as I love MMA. I definitely think there's some room to maybe push McKenney out of the lineup and let Giovanni Reina have some free reign there if you've got Musa and Adams in the team. So I, I, I want to see that. I want to see Berhalter respond 
to the the new toys he's been given and obviously repair the Reyna relationship so that Reyna can become a part of this team in a major way when he's healthy. Yeah, I think that, that I think that's all very fair and, and a very good way to put it. He was asked about Balogun. Uh, having not gotten to work with him yet, what conversations they've had, what his plans are. And I thought his answer was was also very interesting. He says, the national team is about fitting the approach to the players because you have a limited player pool. So we need to work around what he brings and his best skill sets. He's dynamic. He's good at running behind. He's good in the box. So I'm open to work, working towards his strengths. I I don't feel like that is what Greg Berhalter has always done with the no. U.S. I feel like he has no. a way he wants them to play. And then he he puts the personnel, the best personnel in the position to play that way. Right. That was an interesting moment for me of like, maybe this is one of those situations. Um, this is not just meant to be a name drop. But when I asked, asked Sir Alex Ferguson once if he was going to play in a 4-4-2 again, and he was like, Manchester United's never played in a 4-4-2. I don't know what you're talking about, which was a very humbling moment for me as a very much starting <laughs> out uh, a reporter. Uh, that was an interesting one. But like, maybe this is a case when I've misunderstood entirely what Greg Berhalter does. Well, to me, that felt yeah. more like... Him saying, yeah. yeah, we're going to play to his strengths because this dude's very good. That's like that's like we're the advanced uh, race and you're the you know, the, you're the peons <laughs> who don't understand anything we do kind of stuff. Yeah. Which which, I, you know, I can appreciate that there's things that, that I don't understand about what Burhalter is trying to accomplish. Right. We are results based in terms of how we analyze this team. That's the only th- information we have is what happens on the field during a game. So I, I think it's possible. And this is just me speculating and maybe I'm putting words in his mouth that that wouldn't belong there. But I get the sense that Berhalter really did see this past four years or leading up to the World Cup in 2022 as foundational years. Yeah. And and he had to take us to a place of having an identity or having in his mind. Right. You can argue whether he achieved it. You can argue whether he took the right approach with the group of players he had. But I think it was always let's instill these foundational elements in this team. And then when we get that sort of. Uh, that, that sort of uh, transformative talent like a Balagoon could be, well, we then we throw him on top and then we work within that. I mean, coaches like to talk about that all the time. So I think that's probably what he's going for. Although, again, for the last four years, I was screaming, hey, just make it simple and let these guys go play some soccer that doesn't require, you know, so many, so many, so much focus on pattern play, so much focus on positional play. Yeah. And, and I think maybe that's where I am inclined, rightly or wrongly, to give him the benefit of the doubt that like this was always his goal of eight years instead of four. And I would equate it to like a movie that is definitely meant to be a standalone movie. And then it succeeds. And suddenly they're like, well, now we got to have a sequel. We definitely meant to write this sequel the whole time. This was always part of the plan. And they're sort of uh, BSing their way through it. I I think if we do see a, a Greg Berhalter team that is playing maybe more practically based on certain uh, uh, opponents, but they're also opening up, they're changing their formation and their style, they're putting different people in different places than they would have otherwise, I think you can look at the last four years as learning like a, a sort of basic foundation of how they want to play, the style they want to play, the shape they want to be in. But then how do you evolve that? How do you put different people in different places to be able to get a result against the Netherlands and the knockout round so that you're not just sort of torn apart? Or if you do concede an early goal, how do you make proactive changes to get back into it? That is my major area of concern uh, after this last World Cup was how do you sort of make in-game adjustments to change a game when things aren't going well? And I think... If we're seeing it as, no, this was always a planned sequel, then that would be part and parcel yeah. of what this is meant to be these next four years. Yeah, I mean, uh, multiple modes of play is critical here because sort of we, we do like to talk about depth charts, right? And we kind of we, we kind of create this very static outlook for the national team. They play in a 4-4-3. And these are the roles, right? There's an Adams role. There's a McKenney role. There's a Pulisic mm-hmm. role. And then we go, okay, who's best to approximate <laughs> the same traits yeah. that that player has if we need to go down the depth chart? Well, if you're really being smart about it, you go, well, I got a Reyna and I got an Aronson and I got a Musa and I got a, I got a De La Torre. So if I don't have an Adams, do I have to just plug in a guy who's sort of a yeah. number six, but not an Adams? Or do I change the way I play to better fit those players, but still have the same sort of, again, the same sort of structure, right? And, and again, that, that's, that's again, part of the yeah. trying to understand this structure, formation, all that stuff. I do, I do. It's a good point. I do love the idea of like, 
well, who's going to play the Adams role? It's like, well, we've kind of already <laughs> told ourselves who's going to be playing that. Right. The uh, the last thing on that on that presser, uh, I, I did also find it interesting it, when he was doing his opening remarks, he talked about excited by the roster, new players being uh, integrated, players that couldn't be there, and he went through some of the injuries. He talked about Tyler Adams and it being sort of a tight window. He's still a couple weeks away. And then he talked about what the last couple months have been, uh, and it was talking to Premier League coaches during preseason, which feels like a, a fun gig if you can get it. Uh, staffing the team, BJ Callahan coming back, other, other people being brought on as assistants and looking towards uh, additional hires. But the big one seemed to be spending time with Matt Crocker on a strategic plan for 2026 and then working backwards, which is mm-hmm. an interesting approach as well. Henry Bushnell asked for uh, clarification on that one. Didn't get really get a ton, but I do. Is, like, is this where is this where Greg said something about buckets? We got some yes, buckets. He yes. did. I wrote that down because it was Berhalter's confusing buckets. to me. Working backwards <laughs> from what they want to achieve and then separating those into different buckets that we can then attack in attainable ways. I think uh, doesn't but like, mean anything. Doesn't mean anything. There's nothing. What, what is there for me to hold on to that actually can that conveys information that I can understand? It does. It, it's just. Again, it's not word salad, but it's close enough that I don't know what any of that's supposed to mean. Yeah. I, I, the, the only thing I'll say is like it sounded to me like it's part of a grander rollout of ideas, which if it is OK, but also, again, this press conference then feels very strange because you're sort of teasing stuff that should be you don't, you don't go to Comic-Con and like tease that you're going to tease something. You go there to put out the trailer that gets everybody <laughs> excited and then you figure right. out what you're going to do to make that movie happen. That doesn't yeah. always work out well if you're DC, but in this case it feels like they're sort of teasing an announcement that is also still sort of nebulous and we don't know what it's going to be. But I like the idea that they are very focused on what the goals are for 2026 and it's funny because in my mind I'm like is it is it win the World Cup? Cuz if so, like that, that's a pretty big bucket to, to be aiming for. But if it's grow the game and, and integrate different players and continue to develop the program and get young players coming through, I can see how all that works. But, I just, but, again, would like more clarity. I understand. I, and, and I know that, again, I understand strategic planning involves sort of these nebulous concepts. But that's the thing. They're frustrating because they're nebulous because it's the idea of like, well, we want to we want to create a legacy. Bur- Matt Crocker said that several times after they announced the hiring of, of Burhalter for the second time. Something about legacy. What what does that what does that mean exactly? Yeah. It, is is it a legacy of well, if we win this trophy and win that trophy, then we've got a legacy, or we need to reach these rounds, right? To in order to set up the the program to to achieve the next level and maybe win a World Cup one day, right? None of that is specific. It's just I, ideas that are very they're amorphous and they don't have any specificity to them, and it's frustrating as a fan to hear them continuing to talk about these things. When what we care about is, you know, wins and losses and and tangible improvement on the field. Well, uh, as there is tangible improvement on the field, I'm sure you and I will discuss it, maybe on your show, maybe on this show. Sure. Uh, But for now, I think we've spent, uh, I want to say like around 25 minutes talking about uh, your new program and then 30 minutes (laughs) basically complaining about Greg Berhalter and U.S. soccer, which is not always my favorite thing to do, but maybe it was a useful venting session because after that press conference, I came away. They make it, they make it so easy to do though. That isn't that the thing. They make it, it, they make it hard not to fall into that trap. Taylor, let's, let's hope for the best. I had a guy, I had a guy on my show today call me and say, well, after we get, you know, after we get routed in the Copa America and I was like, Hey, let's not, no, I don't want to be that guy and just, you know, project negativity. Mm -hmm. They're going to be fine. Right, like Taylor, they're gonna be fine. I think they will. I mean, I'm, okay. I'm not even, I'm not even trying to like sell that. I, I, I don't think. I'm pausing to reflect. I mean, aside from the Mexico game early on, when the U.S. gets kind of routed, and then Berhalter talks about like, actually, I saw some positive things, which at the time made my head explode. <laughs> In retrospect, I understand that he was focused on sort of trying to establish a style of play that you have to go through growing pains. And we see that at club level all the time where you have a goalkeeper who's never been asked to play with their feet now having to do that. And they kick it out of bounds nine times in a row. Like you have to go through those moments short of that. I don't remember a time that I felt truly like the U S was just like woefully underprepared for what was coming at them. So I don't expect them to get blitzed at the Copa America. I I do think that was maybe a hallmark of the, coach before Greg Berhalter. Uh, I don't really feel like that's a thing that will happen in the Copa America. I think if anything, we'll see the U.S. look sharper because they're playing opposition that is going to try to take the game to them. And I think oftentimes that benefits the United States. I think think the U.S. on the ball and sort of having to open up 
compact defenses is not necessarily what they're best at, though some of the moves, some of the starts to the season so far have me feeling optimistic about some of I know, players, I know, so I know a guy for that. Right. I know yeah. a guy for that. His name is Rio Jaina. He's a great, <laughs> great guy at helping break down. There we go. Bring it all full circle, Jason Davis. Jason, one more time, tell people about uh, the new show, where they can find it, how they can find it, who's going to be on it, all that good stuff. I'll make it simple. It's an interview show with cool soccer people. Hey. Taylor is one of them. Uh, it is called One Shot on Frame. Go find it on YouTube. And please, you know, do that subscribe thing and like thing. Watch all the videos probably multiple times. That might help me out. Go. Thank you very just, much. Just play them on a loop. Keep them going. Jason Davis, thank you again for joining the show. Thank you, Taylor. Listeners, thank you all so much for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed this Gab Fest slash Wine Fest slash getting Greg Berhalter and Bob Bradley confused fest. On that note, we'll talk to you again very soon. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.